Well, can I just tell you, probably one of my greatest struggles when I think about leaving shallow Christianity and learning how to become more mature as a follower of Jesus, it has to do with this question. What place is God's Word, the Bible, going to have in my life? What place? What place of authority and influence is it going to have in my everyday life? Some of you know that I had parents and grandparents who uh, it had a high place of authority and influence in their lives, and that, that should have, I should have been able to draft off that, right? But what I realized is, is just like they had to struggle with this, I have to struggle with this every day, is what place of authority and influence is God's Word going to have in my life? Now, I don't know when you, when you see this in my hand. When you see a Bible or you hear about the Bible, I don't know what comes into your mind. Some people tell me that it's a really intimidating book. You know, it's 40 authors and 66 different books. Where do I start? I don't know the names of some of these people. I, other people say, you know, hey, I was in college once and my professor told me this is full of errors and showed some that seemed to be errors and I've just had a hard time believing that this, this book's true. Other people have said, you know, honestly, with some of the different things that are happening in our world today, this book seems way out of date. It seems at least a step behind. I, I don't think it's relevant anymore. I hate to say that, but that's just honestly, that's my walk around suspicion. And, and others have just said, you know, man, it, it, to learn about this book, I mean, I'd have to like become a pastor. Like have to leave my job, quit my day job, do that kind of thing. So just a lot of different thoughts. And I don't know if you've noticed in our culture, the Bible has been perceived rather negatively because some people have used it like a hammer on other people or to show how I'm right, you're wrong. And so our culture, not like our grandparents and great-grandparents where every person in the culture tended to have at least some familiarity with the Bible, Biblical literacy in our culture is probably at an all-time low. Most people don't even know even some of the basics about the Bible anymore. And that's just outside the church. I wish that was the only challenge. But, you know, that problem is growing inside the church. More and more people who are part of a church their whole life never get familiar with this book. Or it's only a cursory knowledge. And it doesn't serve them very well when the roof caves in. It doesn't serve them well when they're counseling a friend because they really don't know it. One of my mentors said, Jeff, you cannot be deeply influenced by that which you do not know. Man, is he right. And so inside the church, churches now, some churches go Sunday after Sunday without even referencing the Bible. Some that use the Bible all the time do it in a very proud way saying, we preach the Bible, they don't. There's something wrong. Now, last week, we saw that Jesus is concerned about the spirit of our church, not just what we do. He's actually more concerned about the spirit of our church than what we do. Because if the spirit of our church is wrong, then everything we do will be wrong, even if it looks so right. But if we get the spirit healthy in a church, then everything that flows out of that will have a different tone. 
And we talked about how, like that's real slippery language, Jeff. Like how do you know what the spirit of a church is like? And I talked about the fact that the spirit of a church really is the sum total of the attitudes of the people within it. And that when you're looking for a healthy spirit of a church, I mean you can tell when there's a healthiness, you're looking for at least a couple attitudes, and I mentioned them, Chuck already said them. There's usually a hunger and a humility in a church that's healthy. A hunger for God, his word, his ways, and also a humility, a teachableness, a, a, a willingness to be corrected, a, 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 an interest, a desire that's also matched with humility. And we talked about the fact that when you, if you're following along in the notes right now, you can actually fill this one in, that hunger and humility equals a healthy spirit in our church. And I referenced how Natalie, when she came home from college last year, said to me one day, she said, Dad, one of the things that I appreciate every time I come back home and worship when Cherry Hills family gathers is it seems like there's a disproportionate amount of people in our church family compared to some churches I've visited where there's a hunger, where you walk in and you can tell people really do want to learn. They really do want to grow. They really don't want to stay where they are. They're not self-satisfied and saying, oh, I've already learned enough. She says, that kind of hunger is attractive to me, and I want to worship in a place like that, and I want to gather with other Christians like that. I think she's right. And you can tell the spirit of a church, unbelievers who don't even care about Jesus at all, if they walked into our gathering, they can tell whether or not this is fake or real. And so I pray that we can be the kind of church that doesn't lose our hunger, that doesn't lose our humility. But when we do, and we all do, we need to come back to that. Because if we don't, really bad things can happen. They can happen real subtly and real gradually. But one of the things that can happen is, is that the Bible can start losing its place of authority and influence over us and in us without us even realizing it's happening. Oh, we still read it on Sundays. But like Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are miles from me. It's just an outward game. And I don't know if you've seen that happen in your life, but I have. And so one of the reasons that I want to talk with you today about this subject, where has the Bible gone, is because all of us, all of us are in danger of seeing the Bible lose its place of authority and influence in our lives. Or some of us here today, it already has no major high place of authority and influence in our life, but God wants that to be true for us. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 34. I mean, that's the right thing for me to do, right? After all I just said. 2 Chronicles 34. And as you open it, please remember that there are Christians around the world right now that they do not have their own copy. And if they do have their own copy, they could be killed for holding a copy of this. Please make sure you treasure this book every chance you get a chance to open it. But if you didn't bring a Bible, there's red ones in the seat racks in front of you. Pull it out. It's about a third of the way back. Uh, it's in 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to look at verses 14 through 33. Some people call, um, it's right after Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. People call this the pots and pans of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to look at a guy named Josiah. But we're going to actually study one of the lowest times in history of God's people. You see, here's what happened. They lost the Bible. And what's worse, they didn't even know it was gone. 
And what's even worse, it didn't bother him. And I'm thinking to myself, how does that happen? But I've seen it happen sometimes in my own life. I've seen it happen in churches, and it can happen to us. So here's the question that I want us to think about together today is what happens when the Bible gets lost by God's people? What do we do? What can happen? What do we do? What's our response? And I want to tell you, that as I've been studying this passage, I am so inspired by Josiah's response. He's going to be the main character in our story today that we're studying. This really happened. Josiah's response, and then we're going to talk about how it happens, because it happens to all of us, and it can happen to our church. And then we're going to look at ways that we can make sure that it doesn't happen in our lives as often or regularly. So that's what I want to talk about today. And I, um, have, have you all found 2 Chronicles 34? Or are you still playing ping pong with the Bible? I've done that before. The 2 Chronicles 34, 14 through 33. Let me just mark your place. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we could hold church services every week for hundreds of years. We could read from the Bible. We could do all the right things. But right now, what you're looking at is our hearts. What you care about is our spirit before you. Is it hungry? Is it humble? If it's not, Lord, help us. But I pray that you'll be our teacher because everyone in this room, including me, knows there's an altogether different spirit when you're talking to us than when a human being is. We pray by your mercy and grace. Speak to us, teach us, and we'll be responsive for your sake. Amen. Okay, so if you're there, let me just um, invite you to notice a couple things about Josiah's response. The first thing I want you to notice, and then I'm going to read some of these verses, is that Josiah listens humbly and grieves that God's not obeyed. Josiah listens humbly and grieves that God's not being obeyed. Now let me just tell you a little bit about Josiah and the backstory of this. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 34, and even before that, in chapter 33, what you discover is that God's people are in a downward spiral. And part of the reason is because their leaders are leading the way in all kinds of pagan worship, in all kinds of self-centered, it's all about me getting what I want kind of stuff in their nation. And so Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, reigned for 55 years and he was a terribly bad king. But when things got really, really bad, he humbled himself so that the last part of his life, tiny little part of his life, he at least walked humbly with God. But he had done so much damage to himself and the nation, man, that the consequences were still rippling. Then he had a son named Ammon, Josiah's dad. And Ammon was a terribly wicked guy. And he kept on the practices that his dad had been doing instead of humbling himself. And now Josiah becomes king when he's in third grade because his dad gets killed. Third grade. And when he becomes king, the Bible says that by the time he was a sophomore or junior in high school, he began to seek the Lord. I love that. I pray that the third graders in our church and the sophomores and juniors in our church will seek God, whether their grandparents or parents ever have. And man, that's what happened. So Josiah... When he begins to seek God, it says that in the next few years, he began to look at all the stuff that his grandfather and his dad had set up in the nation that was attracting people's attention instead of the Lord, and he began to clean house. 
And he began to make reforms and he began to clean up stuff that they'd gotten sloppy and careless about. And one of the reforms was he asked the people to give money to help the temple get restored because it had gotten not only run down, but gotten filled with all kinds of junk. So they were going to clear it out, clean it up. And once again, it was going to be a place that would inspire people to worship the Lord and him alone. While they're doing that, this story happens is that the high priest and one of the, the uh, assistants for Josiah come and they say, look, we found something in, in the temple. It's the Bible. It's the book of the law. Now, by the way, I don't necessarily think this was the entire Bible because the entire Bible hadn't been written yet, but this was a section of the Bible. Some of your translations will say a scroll, and I believe it was the scroll of Deuteronomy. And the reason why is because when it talks about the blessings and cursings, uh, it, that comes in chapters 28 and 29 of Deuteronomy. You can look at that later. It's a fascinating couple chapters to read of what God said, here's what I'll do if you obey me, and here's what's going to happen if you decide not to obey me. And so this section, I believe, was part of what they found. Anyway, what happens is, is that when they bring this to him, if, you, um, if you'll read that first uh, gray box, the verse there, this is also uh, recounted in 2 Kings 22, but let's read this together. The high priest Hilkiah reported to Shaphan, the royal secretary, I've just found the book of God's revelation. I found it in the temple. Unbelievable, okay? So it says at the end of verse 18 that Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And I love that. Can you picture this? The king says, you know, I'm an important person, you know. Why don't you read that to my underlings? No, he says, read it to me. I want to know what it says. And then verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And then it says in the next few verses that he gave orders to his associates. He says, look, Go inquire of the Lord for me. This is before Jesus came, where now you and I can go directly to God in his name and inquire of him ourselves. But he says, go and inquire the Lord for me. And they went to a prophetess named Huldah. Now that's a name for some of you parents thinking about girls' names. Huldah. And when they went to Huldah, look at verse 23, what she says to them. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me. By the way, Josiah sent them because he says, we have not acted in accordance of what this book says. We, we're breaking it all over the place. We're showing so much disrespect. Go find out what this means for us. Verse 23, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah because they have forsaken me. By the way, they didn't just forsake him for a week. This has been decades. God has a long fuse, friends. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all that their hands have made, my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. I love this next part. Because your heart was responsive, what a great word, responsive, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because, there's the word again, you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see that all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer 
back to the king. What does that mean that he tore his robe? Nowadays, if we're around people that are regularly tearing off their clothes, we get a little nervous, don't we? But in those days, this didn't happen all the time, but this was a dramatic way of responding. Now, these, imagine how these thick robes, this would take a lot of effort. But what happens is Josiah stands up and he rips this very expensive robe all the way down. And what that meant in that culture was this. I am exposed. I am naked before God. I am humbled by what I just heard. And my heart, just like God's heart, is ripped by what I just heard. I'm affected by what I just heard. And God says through this prophetess, I saw that, and I knew it wasn't just a phony act. It was coming from a heart that really was ripped. I saw that. And because you were humble and responsive, and because you were grieved by how I'm being treated, I heard you. And you're not going to have to see all that's going to come on these people. Josiah should have gone, yeah! I guess I'll just have to let the other people, I guess they'll just have to deal with their own consequences. Wouldn't that have been a selfish response? But to show you how serious Josiah is about God getting honored, notice the next thing in your notes. Josiah's response is not only to listen humbly, but also he shares God's word and challenges others to obey with him. That's the very next thing I want you to see in these verses we're going to read. That he goes and he shares God's word and he challenges others to obey with him. People say, wait, I don't think it's going to make that much different. The consequences are still going to come. Oh, no, no, no. When you and I keep God's word high in its authority and influence, even if those consequences come, we'll be in a better place to face those. We'll be in the right place where God wants us to be. This isn't just about avoiding consequences. This isn't about just making sure our life goes easy for us. This is about knowing God, knowing his word, living it each day and growing in it. And so he challenges them. Look at verse 29 and following. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. Can I stop for a second? If the word of God ever gets lost in this church, call a meeting. Call a meeting. Too many times... The word of God is getting lost in our homes. The word of God is getting lost in our lives. The word of God is getting lost in our churches and no one's calling a meeting. What's going on? God cares about what he says and he wants that and Josiah has this incredible heart. Wow, I'm impressed by that. Verse 29, verse 30. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Didn't matter how important you were in people's eyes. We're all getting together. This is important, what we're about to do. And then it says this, all the people from the least to the greatest, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. It's not lost now. The king stood by his pillar, which is the place of authority for a king, and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin, which is part of Israel, pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Man, he says, I want to challenge you. Come on. We have not been doing this. 
And it has hurt God's heart. And it has set us on a terrible path. Come on, I'll obey. Obey with me. Listen to these words. Take them in. Listen responsibly. God knows when we do. Wow. The next thing I hope you'll see in the notes there is that he not only does that, but he removes all idols competing for the Lord's place. How many idols? All of them. He removes all the idols competing for the Lord's place. Sometimes we think we're doing a great job if we remove most of them. Josiah goes, no, 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 no. I am done playing games with God. I am done saying, I'm going to keep this one for myself. All the idols. What's an idol? Most of us are pretty proud of ourselves nowadays that we don't actually kneel down in front of a piece of wood or burn incense. An idol is anything that takes God's place. An idol is anything that's becoming more important to us than God. And that can be anything. It can even be a good thing. But if it becomes something that becomes more important to us than God, then it's no longer being used as a good thing. It's become an idol. And so Josiah, look at this in verse 32. In verse 33, it says, Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. The next thing I hope you'll see is that he leads by example in his hunger and humble obedience. He sets the tone. He models this. He doesn't just say, hey, you guys, this would be great for you. No, he says, I'll go first. I need to do this myself before I ever ask you to do this. He leads by example in his hunger and humble obedience. Where do I get that? The last part of 33. As long as he lived... They did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. Please hear me. I am not saying that if we have leaders in our churches that model this, that everyone will always obey. I know that doesn't always happen. But I will tell you that for every person that's hungry for God, there will always be food on the table. And they will be responsible for their own responses. But man, do we need leaders who will lead the way in hunger and humble obedience. And I feel the burden of this on my own life every week. I don't want to ever stand up and ask you not to do something that I'm not first applying to myself. But Josiah, what a leader. God, give us more Josiahs. Give us more Josiahs in our boys and girls and our teenagers in our men and women. Give us people that have a heart like Josiah because here's what Josiah knew. Why did all this happen? Here's the big line I hope you'll take home with you today. Josiah knew the place we give the Bible is the place we give God. The place we give the Bible is the place we give God. The way we treat his words in this compilation of 66 books is the way we treat him. I've noticed that when I begin to get really careless with what he says in this book, that I get real careless with him. Yeah, I talked in Psalm 51 a few months ago, a few weeks ago, when we were in the Psalm series, and we talked about how King David sinned with Bathsheba and then arranged for her husband to be killed, and it was a bad, bad time in David's life. I mean, how did he go from this high place of worshiping the Lord and genuinely being a man of integrity before this. It can happen to you and me. But one of the things that happened is when Nathan the prophet came to David and said what he said, here's the words that really got my attention over the years. He says, why have you despised my word? When you decided to commit adultery with this woman and kill this man, you know what you were doing? You weren't just going, 
nah, you are despising what I say. And then later he goes, why did you despise me? Translated, when you despise my word, you despise me. You can't separate out what I say. You can't just shaft me like that. You cannot just minimize what I say because when you do that, it shows you don't give a rip about me. Got my attention. And Josiah understood this. He knew this, and so he said, man, the way we treat God's words around here has got to be the way we intend to treat God. Come on. So how does it happen? How does this happen to you and me? Because it happened to them. We can go, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was reading this passage, I was going, those dummies. I don't know where that attitude comes from, but I remember thinking to myself, well, that would never happen to me. But it has happened to me. It may not have gotten to the same extremity, but there are times that I have seen myself go days, weeks, without really letting the authority and influence of God's word be high in my life. It drops really low. So how does that happen? Here's just three things to think about. By the way, in my notes, out to the right, I wrote the word gradually. (laughs) That's how it happens, actually. One day, one decision, one step at a time. It rarely happens all at once. It's usually just gradual, little compromises, little ways we just go, well, you know, I think this is okay. And what happens is we get away from what the Lord wants. So here's the first thing. Jesus said this is really how we get away from the word of God, having a, place, a high place of authority and influence. We allow other things to take the Bible's place. We allow other things to take the Bible's place. You know what this means? It means that we don't necessarily say, well, I don't think the Bible's important, and we just put it away. We go, oh no, I want the Bible to be on my shelf at home, but also I want this author, this musician, this celebrity, what this person says, this religion, and I just want to have them all right here so that, you know, I'm not getting rid of the Bible, but we allow other things to take the Lord's rightful place of authority and influence in our life and his words. Look at what Jesus says in Mark 4, 18 and 19. The seed that fell among thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and here's the phrase, and the desire for other things so that no fruit is produced. Man, you ever had that happen? I've seen all kinds of idols and competitors in my life Take God's place as far as the supreme high place of authority and influence. The second way that it happens is we excuse and make exceptions for our disobedience. We excuse, we start excusing and making exceptions. Say, well, it's okay if I do that for our disobedience. Man, I list out to the right, you can read it later, about how King Solomon, even though God had appeared to him twice, ended in his life totally, totally despising God's word. And D.L. Moody, look at what he says here. I've never forgotten this quote. Learned it in high school. This book will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from this book. Anybody notice that when you start holding on to other things or you start excusing certain behaviors in your life, your interest, your hunger, your appetite for God's word tends to go down. You tend to be less interested. You tend to want to say, oh, no, I don't know. And that's just predictable. The third thing, this one really struck me this week, is we stop treasuring the Bible with others. We 
you stop treasuring the Bible with others, and as long as you're filling in those blanks, would you correct right to the right? I list Deuteronomy 7, 6, and 7. It's supposed to be 6, 6, and 7. And um, I'll come back to that in just a moment. But here's what I noticed. How did, how did Josiah get in this place? Well, his dad certainly didn't share or treasure the Bible. That's probably got lost on his watch or his grandfather's. But Josiah, no one was sharing. No one was treasuring the word of God with him. Here's what I picture in my mind, friends. Last week, when we talked about how important the spirit of our church is, I pictured a charcoal fire in my mind. And what happens is, is that some of us, we get away from the rest of the charcoals, and we get out here by ourselves, and we wonder why we're not as hot as we used to be. One of the reasons we need to be around a church where the spirit is white hot for Jesus is because all of us get cold. All of us get away from this. All of us can stop treasuring what he says, and that's why we need to gather regularly, not just on Sundays, but in life groups and other ways, so that we're sharing and treasuring. I am standing here today because a whole bunch of people treasured God's word, and they shared it with me. I'm not that smart. Jesus knows that we've got to share with each other, and friends, here's the deal. Some of you as parents, you're intimidated by the Bible or you're ashamed of your lack of knowledge, so you use that as an excuse not to treasure the word of God in your home with your kids. I beg of you, be humble enough to say, kids, you may actually know more than me. We're going to learn together and we're going to find a way to treasure God's word in this house. And we may not get it right all the time, but we're going to go down in flames triumph. We're going to make sure that we do and we need to keep treasuring that and you need to find other people that are treasuring his word with you right? So here's, here's the question. What can we do? What do we do? I love this, by the way. If you're following along, we can keep God's word on top like Josiah. Let me just, I thought it might help to kind of see how this happens in our life and, and how we begin to turn around. This, this is my Bible. And what I've noticed is, is that sometimes other things begin to just you know, life just gets going, doesn't it? And so sometimes, you know, we all have to shop. This is an express bag, it's not mine. <laughs> so so we, get, we, we start getting excited or we start spending a lot of time online thinking about that next purchase or those, those things that if we can just get that, oh my goodness. And so we get really involved in shopping or we get really involved in buying things for our house or our car and, and new accessories and all that kind of stuff. And again, nothing wrong with shopping. We all have to do a certain amount of that. But shopping can begin to just become more important. Some of you, you're students here and you're going, man, school again. And I, I have so much homework. Oh, wow. I mean, it's important to do homework, isn't it? Don't answer that. <laughs> but the truth is, is that we all need to learn the discipline of those things. It's important. It's part of life. But I've watched times where homework, literally, I just use that excuse and say, there's no way I can do that and you fill it in. Some of you are in the middle of this right now. You seen these? <laughs> these are diapers. Man, I remember when our kids were all under the age of five or, you know, at least a couple of them. Whew. The Bible, Jeff, I got like diapers. Like, I got all this stuff to do, okay? Some of you can relate to this. You, um, I just washed your clothes, right? And laundry seems like a never-ending 
never-ending. Some of us, every weekend, we're taking kids to this. Nothing wrong with sports. There's great things learned from sports, isn't there? But isn't it true that sports has crowded out God in our country? If we're not careful, it can happen. And for us guys, we're getting a little weak when we see one of these. Man, is anybody else excited? I was, that football season's back. Yeah, I love this. And again, there are some people that literally, their whole week revolves around football. Or what you put it, you fill it in. But what can happen? But you may say, well, you know, oh man, here's a powerful thing. And uh, the research shows that the average person watches this five hours a week. I won't even bore you with the data on how much time the average person spends in their Bible. By the way, five hours a day, I didn't mean a week. I won't even bore you with that information. And, you know, I could put other things, I could put my billfold and all that. And before you know it, the Bible no longer has its place of authority and influence over all this stuff. This stuff has its authority and influence over it. And so God says, look, come on. Be like Josiah. Say, that's it. I am not going to allow the word of God to get lost in my life, in our home, in our church. I want it to be on top. And I know I've got a lot to learn. And sometimes I'll get it right and sometimes I won't. But God help me. God help me to learn how to live my life and to choose for it to be the supreme authority and influence in my life. I know there's lots of parts that I need to understand and learn and all that. And so you and I can do this. How do we do this? Here's what I found. Someone asked me last week, they said, you know, Jeff, you talked about hunger, but what do you do when you don't feel any hunger? I thought that was a great question. And here's what I want to tell you about hunger. It's not a feeling. I mean, you can feel hunger, but hunger actually is a choice. Hunger is what you want. Hunger is what you desire. And here's what I've learned about myself. I tend to get around to whatever I want to get around to. You notice that? You know, when I have the hunger, I find a way to get there. But I didn't choose that. So years ago, I learned that, I don't know what your schedule's like, but I learned that if I do not start every day by reading a section of the Bible, I'm toast. My day will go so fast, you know, especially bad when you're a pastor. But I know that I've got to start, so I do that. I've been in the one-year Bible for years, and that may not be the best thing for you, but I try and make sure. You know what? Here's the truth. Some days, I'm absolutely excited, and other days, I'm about as spiritual as a dish rag, as I said at the beginning. Sometimes there's, there's no feeling, there's no hunger, but I've learned that if I will aim myself towards this so many times, God will use that time to speak to me. And when he doesn't, I just go, God, keep helping me be hungry. Cry out to him. For some of you, here, I'll tell you another example. With my daughter in our home, one of the ways that we found a way to talk about the Bible is when we, she and I would go on a date until she went to college every week. And there at Panera or wherever we went, I would say, okay, Natalie, tell me, who's your favorite Bible character lately? And she'd tell me. Then she'd say, Dad, who's yours? The last date we had before she went back to college last week as I told her, mine's Josiah lately. Can you see why? And she told me hers, and that's one way. But you, you can actually put stuff on your mirror. You can put stuff on your fridge, because most of us spend plenty of time around both of those. 
You can put it on your locker. You can put it in your car. You can put it in different places. You can put it in your office. But the point is, you can actually feed yourself. You can impress these things not only on your children, you can impress them on your own heart by writing them out in your own hand and reflecting on them. And if you didn't see it already, on the back, I've given it to you before, but notice this. Is it these verses? These verses. Again, I shared this before. I'll share it again if you've never seen it. When I was a teenager, this is what my youth leader shared. You know, the Bible's a big book. Where do I start? If you started actually reading some of these references, I think you'd be amazed at what God has to say about everyday life. But again, that's for you to use. And the soap idea at the bottom is, if you write out one of those verses, make an observation. What do you notice about that verse? What questions do you have? Then what application might be true for your life? How is God maybe trying to say, apply this to my life? And then a prayer before you end your time. Just say, Lord, would you help this become more a part of me this week, today? I want to remember this. Help me remember it. You can do that. But here's the last thing I hope you'll see. Is that in hunger and humility, I I left this where you could, if you wanted to, circle the word I. I won't let God's word get lost. In hunger and humility, I won't let God's word get lost. You see, because... It's the wow, you and I respond. It's the attitudes we choose or don't choose that determine not only the spirit of your home, spirit of your life, but the spirit of our church. And I got to just tell you real quick, I think the one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this today, my prayer is not just that this could be a great chapter in our church life. My prayer is that what we'll learn together is something that is so rich and powerful that the next generation and the generation after that will take it from here. But if we don't get this right, friends, we are handing a terrible baton to the next generation. Terrible. And they're ill-equipped to face the complexity of this world without God's wisdom. Now, I don't know what you're going to do once you walk to your car, once you walk out of here, but here's what I hope happens. I hope that sometime today, next 24 hours, you'll have a conversation with God and you'll say, God, I may not be as hungry as you want me to be. I may not be as humble as you want me to be. But let me be more like Josiah than I've been. And he'll use that prayer and he'll help you. And we want to be the kind of church next week we resume the Gospel of John. Hope you can be here for that. But here's how I want to close. I want to ask the prayer team to come forward so you'll be down front when we're dismissed. And then I want to pray for our church family because we can get away from this, can't we? We can all lose the Bible and its place of authority and influence. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to lose your words, but we do. So show us how to be more like Josiah. Show us how to listen humbly. Show us how to to invite other people and share your word. Show us, God, how to remove things that need to be removed under your direction, and then show us how to be examples rather than just expect other people. Help us to know the way we treat your word is the way we treat you. So now, God, I pray as we look ahead to our future, keep us hungry and humble, God. We have a choice about it. Show us how to respond to you with tenderness. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you.